U.S. has officially surpassed every other country in the world as the global hotspot for COVID-19. The death toll hits 1,000 and then 2,000 three days later. Doctors, nurses, and hospital staff do battle on the front lines without the protective gear they need. This is America Dissected, and I'm your host, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. Over the weekend, the 2,000th victim of coronavirus passed in the United States. That was less than three days after the U.S. had hit 1,000 deaths. As COVID continues to inundate our hospitals, I want to take a second to explain why the rate of deaths is increasing so rapidly. First, that's because the number of COVID cases continues to climb. As of Monday, there have been 144,000 confirmed cases of COVID in the U.S., but that's probably an underestimate of the actual burden of disease in America. To understand why, I want you to think about how we know that a case is in fact a case. First, the person had to be tested. And given the low rate of testing in the U.S. and the fact that we're mainly testing people who are seriously ill already, we're likely missing a lot of the more mild or asymptomatic cases that aren't getting tested. The other reason is because we're testing people after they get symptoms. We know that the incubation period, the time it takes for people to get symptoms after they've gotten the virus, is between 2 and 14 days, with a median time of 5 days. That means that, on average, there's a 5-day gap between when they actually get COVID and when they get symptoms. On top of that, there's a gap between when people get tested and when their tests come back. Though, with newer tests, that gap is decreasing. Let's say that there's a gap of five to seven and a half days between when someone actually gets COVID and when we know they have it because of a positive test. What's changed in five to seven days? Well, the doubling time, the amount of time it takes for the number of cases to double, is about two and a half days. So in five to seven and a half days, the number of cases will have doubled two or three times, meaning the number of confirmed cases is off by a factor of four to eight. All of this forces us to reckon with the death toll COVID will take. Looking at what we're seeing now, you know, I would say between 100 and 200,000 cases, excuse me, deaths, but I don't want to be held to that because I just don't think that we really need to make a projection when it's such a moving target. The curse of COVID is that as the number of cases increases, our hospital's ability to care for each additional case will fall. After all, we've been working to flatten the curve to make time for hospitals to ramp up production, but that ramp up has been slow in coming. And so the death rate is liable to increase even faster than the rate of COVID increases as more seriously ill patients crowd into a healthcare system that finds itself less able to treat them by the day. To make matters even worse, it's not like the caseload is evenly distributed around the country. It's hitting certain communities like New York, Chicago, and my hometown in Detroit far harder, putting even more stress on their already struggling hospitals. So in the midst of all this, there are individuals, real people, who are providing care in our hospitals. What's it like? I interviewed my friend Dr. Akash Shah, an emergency room physician in New Jersey, one of the hardest hit communities about it. We'll hear from him after the break. For all our sakes, we need to avoid going out any way we can right now. But what if you need to go to the post office? What if you need postage to send out letters and packages? Don't worry. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. 
Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier. Schedule a free package pickup or drop it in the mailbox. No human contact required. It's that simple. And now, in addition to offering discounted U.S. Postal Service rates, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discount rates up to 62%. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Dissect, D-I-S-S-E-C-T. That's Stamps.com, enter Dissect. Stay home, my friends. Stay safe. Friends, this pandemic has left people choosing between saving lives and saving their livelihoods. But we didn't have to be here. In my new book, Healing Politics, I argue that we're suffering an epidemic of insecurity that set the stage for our experience now. It's out today at HealingPoliticsBook.com. I hope that you'll pick up a copy. Dr. Akash Shah is a, a good personal friend of mine. Uh, we went to grad school together, and um, he is also an emergency room physician in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, Dr. Shah, thank you so much for taking the time out of your what I know is an extremely busy schedule. Um, I understand you did a, uh, a, a shift yesterday. Can you just help our listeners understand what it's like to be an emergency room physician in the time of COVID-19? It is as challenging as it gets. Um, and I think one of the things that has struck me is just how quickly this moves. So, you know, one of the things I'd like to emphasize is that if you are fortunate enough to be in a part of the country where this hasn't hit you in earnest, brace yourself because it is already in your community and is probably far more widespread than you realize. So, you know, I saw patient zero, one of our first confirmed cases in the, the state, uh, just under four weeks ago. Fast forward to my shift yesterday, uh, we've already seen what feels like thousands of cases. Nearly our entire hospital has been converted into an ICU with long rows of patients, young and old, sick and healthy alike, who are in medically induced comas, on ventilators, and positioned prone on their stomach in hopes of getting as much oxygen into them as, as possible. And... You know, when I say our entire hospital has been converted into this setup, I I don't simply mean every room in our hospital, Abdul. I mean the rooms are doubled up, the hallways are lined, the cafeteria has been flipped into a 75-bed unit, the lobbies of adjacent buildings are next, and the tents are already up outside of the, the hospital. Um, so, again, if you're fortunate enough to be in a part of the country where that's not what your hospital or emergency room looks like yet, um, understand that it will be. And and it's really a question of when, not if. Hmm. And when you hit the emergency room at the beginning of a shift... Walk us through what that looks like and what's going through your mind. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, it's ensuring that I have my personal protective gear with me. So getting on my respirator, getting a surgical mask over that, getting on a face shield, uh, and then getting on any additional equipment we have. In addition to that, I grab a couple 
uh, spare surgical mask because I know every time I go into a room, uh, the outer surgical mask is going to be contaminated. So I have to take that off and then replace it. Uh, the next thing I think about is who am I working with and what can I do to, to minimize any risk to them? So if I'm working with resident physicians, if I'm working with physician assistants, if I'm, if I'm working with nurse practitioners, huddle up and discuss with them what we need to do uh, to ensure that all of us are safe. Uh, and then after that, we take a look at the board. And and the board, just, just for folks who don't know, the board is just, it's sort of a roster of all the patients in the emergency room. That, that's exactly right. And so I look at the, the board, the roster of patients who are there, see who needs to be seen next. And this is this is new for me, Abdul. I actually look at the board and there are so many waiting to be seen that I actually have to perform a kind of triage to see who I can get to first. And and our hospital is not unique in this regard by, by any means. I think everyone in our neck of the woods is feeling this kind of strain. But, you know, I used to be able to get into that first patient's room within minutes of them hitting our emergency room. Now, several hours may have passed. Several of them are waiting, and I'm quickly triaging to see who's most in, in respiratory distress, most likely to need a ventilator, and that's the person I go see first. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of triage upon triage now at the beginning of my shift. What do you wish that people understood um, that that is not getting out there to people right now as they're watching uh, this story about coronavirus unfold uh, from from inside the safety of their quarantines in their homes? Yeah, so so I think two things really jump out at me. Uh, one is that, you know, I think far too many folks still feel like this is something that uh, may not affect them, especially if they're young, especially if they're otherwise healthy. And, you know, I go back to the first confirmed case that we had in our state. You know, he was barely 30, otherwise healthy, and walked into our emergency room, uh, breathing a little heavy, but that was about it. And then you get the chest x-ray, and it looks as though someone had spread gray graffiti all over it and Mm. and you take a look at his oxygen levels and you quickly realize that that this was a gentleman who was drowning on on dry land and uh you know that's when i came to appreciate that this is not the flu like so many others have suggested this is something that moves far more quickly uh is far more intense and, and has uh, to put it crudely, has leveled folks who are younger and healthier uh, than myself uh, to say nothing of those who are older and have other health issues. And so, you know, again, I, I would just emphasize that for those who are at home, uh, not only is this real, but this is far more, far faster and far more intense than it has been made out to, to be so far. What do you wish our policymakers were doing differently right now? Yeah, so I think uh, four things immediately come to mind. So first, screening needs to be rapid, reliable, and at scale. We should be proactively testing individuals in the community, not asking those with mild symptoms to come into the emergency room, brush shoulders, share space, and breathe the same air uh, in a in a place where they are all but certain to catch the virus just to get a test. Uh, This is a scourge, but it is a containable one. Uh, To contain it, though, we must know who has it, and to know who has it, we must test en masse. Uh, The second thing I'd like 
our our policymakers to do is use the Defense Production Act far more aggressively to marshal the resources that this country has to provide the protective equipment and the ventilators we need. I know the men and women on the front lines of this battle. I have no doubt in my mind that this can be their finest hour, uh, but they need the armor and the weapons to make it so. Third, I would mobilize the military to create the space needed for us to win this battle. It makes no sense for us to social distance at home and in our communities, but not in our hospitals, where we know for a fact that nearly every single patient that we are treating has the virus. And fourth, I'd I'd move quickly to address existing and predictable shortages in the uh, in the healthcare workforce. So if you're in a position to graduate health profession students early where possible, pull in uh, residents and, and faculty and other staff from other specialties and departments where possible and supplement ancillary staff in a way that is quick, uh, I would absolutely encourage our, our policymakers to, to facilitate that. And I, I know from conversations from, from colleagues like you and others that... Um, you know, all of the policy recommendations you've laid out are thoughtful and and things that I agree with, um, but it feels like it's it's not happening. The Calvary's not coming. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me what morale is like on the front lines as folks like you march into work every day, realizing that the resources that you need are fewer and fewer, the patients that you're seeing are greater and greater, mm-hmm. and you're being forced to triage more and more? What does that do to morale and, and how does that show up um, in the work and in uh, the the perspective of the doctors and nurses and uh, and staff that you work with every day? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I uh, I'm hanging in there, but I, I I was actually thinking about this quite a bit uh, this past week because, you know, just about uh, I think it was just two days ago. Uh, my colleague and I were working in the emergency room and found ourselves in a surreal situation. And, and I should preface it by saying that, you know, even under normal circumstances in the emergency room, uh, telling someone that their their mother or father, their brother or sister, their husband or wife, their son or daughter has, despite the best efforts of you and your team, has died or may do so shortly is part and parcel of being an emergency room doctor. Being able to provide comfort and compassion when doing so is a privilege, but over time I worry that it, it takes a toll on you and your morale. And that is something that has been compounded in so many ways by this pandemic uh, for the reasons that you've already alluded to. Um, so, you know, just two days ago, my colleague and I were working in the emergency room and had this surreal experience where our friend and fellow ER doctor, who is young and otherwise healthy, came in with severe symptoms of a, of a COVID infection. Mm. Uh, despite my colleague's best efforts, it quickly became clear that he needed to be put into a medically induced coma, mm. have a breathing tube inserted, and be placed on a ventilator. And my colleague did an outstanding job, but to pull on the this is a war analogy, it's it's akin to being in a foxhole, watching the man or woman next to you go down and being responsible for getting him or her to safety. And, and I imagine that in that moment, you tunnel vision on the task at hand and you get the job done. But I have no doubt that that, that isn't really the end of it. You know, I I learned later that evening when chatting with my colleague uh, that he had gone for a run and he told me that he had ran, run harder than he ever had before. And, and he wasn't sure whether he was doing so because he, 
just needed to get some literal and figurative distance from what had happened earlier in the day or or because he needed to feel his lungs ache and burn to better understand what our, our friend and co-worker's lungs must be feeling mm. on the ventilator at that very moment. And, you know, I, I worry. I worry that moments like those multiplied many times over can produce a, a kind of anguish that is not just moral, but of morale. And so, you know, I, I'd say we're still hanging in there, uh, but I won't sugarcoat it. It's it's hard, and I, I worry that as this fight continues, uh, we're going to see more and more of those moments, and uh, I think it's going to manifest in, in real exhaustion and uh, fatigue. And so I think that that Calvary needs to to arrive because I don't see how else we we get through this. Well, we're all pulling for uh, for your colleague, and um, thank you. You know, it's a, it's a hard question to ask, but uh, you know, I know you as a very optimistic person, and um, folks don't go in your line of work if they're pessimists. You can't. Um, what gives you optimism right now? What What are you hopeful yeah. about? Yeah. Well, so uh, so much, Abdul. You know, I I often watch my colleagues, and and not just the doctors and nurses, but the clerks, the cleaning staff, the respiratory therapists, and the techs. Uh, and I'm awed by their dedication. Look, you know, as a physician, I am fortunate to have so much privilege. And if you think that the national shortage of PPE is affecting doctors, then you can rest assured that it is affecting the cleaning staff who enter rooms mere moments after patients with COVID have left them. Uh, and they do so day in and day out, and they do it well. And that that inspires me. That uh, fuels my optimism and gives me hope. When I look beyond the four walls of the emergency room, I see my community coming together. I see children sending messages of encouragement. I see neighbors checking in and sending care packages to one another. And I see a family, I see family businesses handing out inventory instead of pink slips. And, and that too gives me, gives me hope and fuels my optimism. Uh, you know, so, so I'm hopeful, but I should be clear that, you know, I share those examples not to uh, not to absolve our leaders, uh, the the proverbial Calvary that you just referred to, not to absolve our leaders of their responsibilities to us, but demand that they prove themselves worthy of, of the sacrifice that my colleagues in my community is are making. You know, I want our leaders to understand that the fact that our cleaning staff is here day in and day out does not mean that they do not need paid sick leave and a livable wage, much the opposite. They need and deserve it and they need and deserve it now. Uh, you know, I want our leaders to understand and that the, the fact that our neighbors are checking in and caring for one another does not mean that they do not need a well-funded public health system capable of rapidly and reliably testing in mass. Much the opposite. They need and deserve it, and they need and deserve it now. So, uh, you know, I think you're right that I am a, an optimist and someone who's hopeful by nature, and I continue to be, but I'd be lying if I said there wasn't work to do, and, and I realize that you are someone who, who knows that uh, as, as much as anyone. And, you know, I know that um, the weight, the moral weight of the work that you do day in and day out has to weigh heavy on you. Um, What do you do in your off time? Not that you have that much, but what do you do in your off time to try and uh, lift that off or or to get your mind somewhere else? 
Yeah, well, I I think it's what I I do during other times as well, which is uh, laugh at the the many ways in, in which I I end up uh, falling falling short in between shifts. So I think you'll you'll get a kick out of this. But you know, so working in the emergency room, I recognize that uh, I I'm at high risk of of uh, catching the infection, and so I I do my best to to. Uh, change and uh, wash up and all that good stuff before I come home. And I remember when all of this started uh, early on, I, I said, you know what, I, 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 I want to make sure that I, I sort of, to the best of my ability, quarantine myself from uh, my wife. And so instead of uh, uh, going into the bedroom after uh, coming home from a shift, I uh, went to the living room, uh, rolled out the, the yoga mat, threw a blanket down and a pillow and, and slept there and then uh, woke up a couple hours later, uh, cleaned it all up, put it away and, uh, and went off to work. My wife was, uh, was still sleeping. Uh, and that went on uh, a couple days in a row until I, I finally had a day off and uh, my wife and I had just finished watching a movie and I said, you know what, I'm I'm exhausted. It's uh, it's time for me to to make my bed, and and I grab the yoga mat and I unfurl it, uh, and I just hear her exclaim, "Wait, you've been sleeping on the yoga mat?" And I go, "Yeah." I uh, uh, and I go, "Why?" And she she goes. I've been using the yoga mat every single day. And so what had been happening in our house, despite my uh, best and well-intentioned efforts to quarantine was every single day I'd come home from the emergency room. uh, She'd be asleep. I'd unfurl the yoga mat, sleep on it for a couple hours, roll it back up uh, and leave for the emergency room again, only to have her wake up an hour later, unfurl it and do yoga on it. Mm. So, you know, we're, we're taking the quarantine and social distancing seriously, but, uh, but I'd be lying if I said there weren't times when we fell short and uh um and i'm laughing about it so so that's uh that's what i'm doing when i'm not there well uh dr akash shah we're really grateful for you for all your colleagues on the front lines who are out there every day uh serving uh your neighbors and your loved ones and your friends and your colleagues um we're pulling for you we hope that you stay healthy and safe and um We'll keep pushing to make sure that you all have the resources that you need uh, to do the critical work that you're doing right now. If you have one last message for listeners uh, out there, what is it? Yeah, so I would, I would tell folks to stay hopeful. You know, I I think that uh, this is something that we can get get through, um, but we're gonna need everyone to, to not only do their part, but to push our leaders to make sure that the, the system falls into place. You know, I, I often have patients who will say something to the effect of, you know, doc, the, the star is finally aligned for me. And, you know, it's one of those things that I hear and, and I often sympathize and, and empathize and feel the same way. But I, I also realize that no one should have to wait for the stars to align. And, and quite candidly, no one has to if the systems already do. So I would encourage folks to not just stay hopeful, not just chip in and do their part, but then push our leaders to make sure that the systems align in a way that, that leaves no one having to wait for the stars to do so. We deeply appreciate you, your optimism, your hard work, and um, thanks for taking some time out of what I know is a really, really busy schedule uh, to join us today. Thank you again. Well, thank you, Abdul, and appreciate all you're doing on this front. Before we go, I want to tell you what I'm watching right now. First, new tests are coming online. But how are they going to be used? 
One of the main challenges right now is that we're not doing community testing particularly well. So we have a pretty skewed picture of who's getting sick. Can these new tests facilitate a better view on the pandemic clusters? We're seeing the hardest images of pain and suffering this country has seen in a long time. Communities that have not yet been hit as hard are preparing. Can they prevent the kinds of outbreaks we've seen in the hardest hit communities? And as we do, Americans are coming together to support each other through this. Mutual aid societies and notes of love and solidarity remind us of who we are at our best. Can we stay together as this continues to unfold? That's all for today. But if you'd like to support organizations leading the fight to support our most vulnerable during this pandemic, donate to Crooked Media's Coronavirus Relief Fund at crooked.com coronavirus. America Dissected is a product of Crooked Media. Our producer is Austin Fisher. Stephen Hoffman is our senior producer. Charlotte Landis mixes and masters the show. Production support from Tara Terpstra and Sydney Rapp. The theme song is by Takayasuzawa and Alex Ugiera. Our executive producer is Sarah Geisman. And I'm your host, Dr. Abdul El Sayed. Thanks for listening. <laughs>